Good morning, church. Great to see you today. My name is Greg Paris. So glad you've joined us. Welcome to the campus. And if you're joining us online this morning, welcome to you. We're thrilled to have you with us. So glad you're here. Isn't that exciting stuff to just to see all of the ways that God is reaching out and touching people's lives through new church plants here and there? And as winsome as those folks look, they're even better in person. These are amazing human beings that God has raised up, and we are in partnership with them, and it's very, very exciting. Uh, Close by your seat today, you will see a faith promise card. If you'll grab that and just look at it with me just for a moment. There are two funds that we ask people to support financially over the course of a year at Union Chapel, just two. One is the general fund. And that supports all of our local programs, uh, pays for our staff, manages our physical campus here. That's the general fund. The second fund is what we call Faith Promise. Faith Promise is the fund through which we do all of our citywide and, and worldwide mission support, including our church planting and other things like that. If you'll notice on the, for, for the face of this Faith Promise card, Uh, You can see all the line items there that we fund through Faith Promise as we propose for 2023 in the total of $470,000. And so you can get a a feel for that in general. If you'll flip this over on the back side, at the bottom there's a definition there of what Faith Promise is, this, this philosophy of giving to missions. It's as it's named, aptly named, Faith Promise. So what we invite you to do is exercise your faith to pray to God, to think about additional funds that you could, you could give toward the local and extra local mission projects that we have in our church. And God will give you a number. He oftentimes does. Uh, when my wife and I deliberate about this every year, the number she, she hears from God is always larger than the number that I hear from God. It's a problem. Her faith is obviously bigger than mine. And so we have to wrestle with that a little bit. We come to a conclusion. We've actually listed that number today, and we'll turn that in. And so once you hear this number, you just believe God for it. And if the money comes in, you've made a commitment to give it to this mission, Faith Promise at Union Chapel. And if it doesn't come in, you take that up with God. God, I thought you said that you'd provide this much money for these missions. And if it doesn't come in, you Talk to him about it. It's between you and God. It's an exercise of faith. I have an entire file in my office of letters and cards that I've received from people over the years who testify to the amazing ways that God has made provision for them to pay their faith promise commitment. It's just remarkable. And so it will build your faith. It will inspire your faith. And I encourage you to engage it. So just two funds, general fund and the faith promise. And today we're asking for you to consider making a commitment to this, uh, this goal for our faith promise in 2023. Now, I want to uh, do two things this morning. One is I want to simply generally talk about what in the world God is doing. It's a question. We have questions today every Christian should be asking. One question that every Christian should be asking today is what in the world is God up to? Every Christian should be able to answer that question. I want to give you a a, a general oversight of what in the world God is doing so that you have some working knowledge of that. Every Christian should. Not every Christian does. 
but every Christian should. And so I want to help you with that. And then the second part is to ask the question, what in the world are you doing in the world? And I want to do that by asking some, I think, probing, maybe penetrating questions that will cause you to think and pray more about your own relationship with God and how you can be more useful in, in his work. I want to begin with two verses of scripture. The first I'll put on the screen, it's Psalms 87, verse 7. And this is David, a Psalm of David, King David, and he's talking about the singing and the worshiping of God through song. And he comes to the last verse of Psalm 87, and he says, and they make music, as they make music, they will sing. And then this last phrase, look at that phrase, all my fountains are in you. Isn't that a great turn of phrase? All my fountains are in you. That's provocative, isn't it? It's challenging. It's refreshing. All my fountains. Is that your testimony today? Is that your intention? That all your fountains, all of the real references in life are found in your relationship with God? I love that. The second verse is 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. This is the Apostle John. Uh, the one we referenced last week was we talked about the book of Revelation. And this is John the Apostle, and he writes, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Any questions? So you can find where life... Now, here's something fascinating. Uh, you may not have heard this, but officially now, the world's population has reached 8 billion as of this year. 8 billion as of right now. Some of you just had babies. Your baby was probably eight, the eighth billionth baby now in the world. It's, amazing. it's an amazing time. Life Research, uh, in conjunction with Gordon Conwell Seminary, has produced a 2022 status of global Christianity report. So this is fresh off the press. This is, this is as current information as you can get. And what we learned from this study is that the number of Christians worldwide has increased by 1.17% in the last 22 years from the year 2000. And that the Christian denominations that have experienced the fastest growth rates around the world are evangelicals, 1.8%, and Pentecostal charismatics at 1.88%. Now, an evangelical Christian is a, is a Christian who believes in a born-again experience and believes the Bible true. Union Chapel would be an evangelical church. A Pentecostal charismatic uh, church would be a, a, a group of believers who believe in the present person and work of the Holy Spirit, believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, believe in the supernatural activities of God in the world, and b still believe in miracles. Union Chapel would be one of those churches. And, and so our kind of church are the churches that are growing in the world. The increase in the number of Pentecostals worldwide is expected to continue at a rapid pace. Listen to this. There were fewer than 1 million people who identified with Pentecostal charismatics in the year 1900, just 120 years ago. But today, that number is expected to top 1 billion by the year 2050. Astonishing. That's an amazing thing. By 2050, Pentecostals could account for roughly one-third of the 3.3 billion Christians in the world. Astonishing. If, if you don't identify as a Pentecostal charismatic right now, you should be asking, maybe there's something to that. Next year, we're going to spend a, 
a, a good part of our year talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be a spirit-filled Christian? What does it mean to be a spirit-filled church? So something to look forward to. Additionally, Lifeway noted that Christianity is growing fastest in the global south. This is not new information. We've known this now for, for a, a couple of decades, that Christians south of the equator, the global south, the southern hemisphere, Africa, Asia, Latin America, Oceania, these are the places in the world where the Christianity is growing the fastest. Currently, Africa is home to 700 million Christians. In 1900, just 120 years ago, only about 3% of the African population were Christian, and now it's over 40%. Astonishing move of God. Asia has about 400 million. Latin America, roughly 600 million. And approximately 29 million are in the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Islands, Oceania. Uh, The growth in Christianity in the global south is expected to continue to multiply by 2015, about 27 or 28 years, 1.3 billion Christians are projected to live in Africa. 500 million in Asia, 700 million in Latin America. Now, another revelation in this report, which is relevant to us as we're trying to understand what in the world God is doing, is that the 2022 status reveals that Christianity has become less concentrated in Christian-majority countries. In other words, places like America now uh, are showing a reduction in Christians relative to the the general population. There are more Christians worldwide uh, than there has ever been before, and so Christianity now is spreading out around the world. This is exactly what we were hoping for. The percentage of Christians who live in a country where Christianity is the major religion decreased from 59% in 2000, just 22 years ago, down to 54%. And by 2050, that'll be down to about 50%. You heard me on the video just a moment ago say that North America is one of the fastest growing mission fields in the world. And statistically, that is absolutely true. I mean, and the empirical evidence is also there, isn't it? I mean, if you just look at our culture and go, gee, is this becoming more Christian or less Christian? What would, you, what would your guess be? And so, and so opportunity is there. That same figure has gradually increased over the years with, four, uh, with, with uh, only 5% of people in 1900, 120 years ago, who said that they know a Christian. But that number's up to 18% now, which is great. And by 2050, the number of people who say, outside of the faith, who say, I know a Christian person, that, that will rise to 20%. So that's very encouraging. The gospel is getting out there. Uh, how many Bibles do you imagine has been printed this year, 2022? The number is 93 million. Isn't that, isn't that something? That's a lot of Bibles. Uh, in just 22 years ago, in 2000, the number was 54 million, and it's projected by 2050 that the number of Bibles that will be printed that year will be 120 million. Isn't that, isn't that great? And, of course, more and more languages are finding a printed Bible in their language around the world because of Bible translation. The gospel of Jesus Christ then, in summary, is by definition a global movement. The great commission of Jesus Christ requires it to be global. The lostness of the world compels us. The love of Christ propels us. The gospel 
of Jesus Christ is truly true, now that amen goes after this statement, get ready, then it will inevitably bring us to the ends of the earth. We are a global movement, and we always have been, and we continue to be. I want to share with you that scripture that I mentioned on the video just a moment ago, Romans 15, 20. Look on the screen with me. I want you to just get it in your head. It has always been my ambition, this is the Apostle Paul, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I'd not be building on someone else's foundation. And as I mentioned, North America then is one of the fastest growing mission fields in the world. Now, as... As a result of that, there is enormous opportunity for us. We should be asking the question in this moment, in our lifetimes, not our, our parents' lifetime, not in our, our children's lifetime, but in our lifetime, you will do the best with your life if you will discover the will of God for your generation and then fling yourself into it. Figure out what in the world God is doing, where is he doing it, who is yet to be reached, and how can we be involved? These are relevant questions that every Christian, every church, every Christian organization should be asking in times like these. And what we know is that there is a great mission field now opening at our doorstep here in North America. So how do you respond to that? Well, many churches have either lost connection with a dynamic apostolic orthodoxy, they no longer believe the Bible true, they no longer practice the ethics prescribed in the Bible, the, the moral values of the, of the Scripture, or don't have a clear strategy for missional engagement. So too many churches, this is a sad commentary, too many churches now are just wandering aimlessly with no sense of purpose, no sense of mission. It's not good. But what we do know that there are those of us who are paying attention to what in the world God is doing and to the culture around us. And what we know to be a fact is that the most effective way to reach people who are far from God is to plant new churches. There's something about a new church, the vitality of that, the newness of that, the energy, the synergy that happens around new church development that attracts people interested or at least seeking or inquiring about a relationship with God. So we know that planting churches, and there isn't a close second in terms of strategic, strategic value in reaching people who are far from God. So planting churches is a big deal. Our vision is to plant, is to partner, is to network, to see life-giving, reproducing local churches established in our country and any place God sends us in the world. And you've already seen a snapshot of the 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 people and the places that we're engaging, and that's not all of it. There are doors opening all the time. I have meetings set up in the next two weeks with people from different parts of the world, North Africa and other parts of the United States, who are interested in planting churches, and they know that we're in that business and that we have capacity to do it and the, and the expertise to do it and the experience in doing it. And, and so God is sending them to us, and it's an amazing moment. Not only are we planting churches, but we are also keenly aware of other strategic missions that happen in our own community here and other parts of the world. And so I want to put on the screen for you a list of other missionaries and agencies that we will be funding through our Faith Promise this year. You can see on the front page here, this is under the, of the Faith Promise card, uh, under the second line there, Local and Global Missions. These are the folks, these are the folks that, that this pertains to. 
And so you see a list of missionaries there. All of the people and agencies that we fund through our Faith Promise Missions budget are, are led by people whom we know personally. This is, one of, this is how we filter and vet these opportunities. We say no to lots of people. We say yes to people in three categories. One, we know you, we have a relationship with you, a friendship with you, we trust you. Number two, we share vision and values with you. Your worldview and your motives are, are the same as ours. And the third thing is you're involved in a project that we can support. We encourage that. And so, we, so every name you see, every agency you see on this list, these are people we know, people that we trust, people that we share worldview with, and people that we partner with in the particular ministry they engage. And it goes on and on like that. For example, you'll see the name Steve Unangst on the list. Steve has been part of Union Chapel's mission now for over 30 years. Steve led our first team into Central Asia 28 years ago. He is coaching our team in Central Asia now. His wife, Miriam, uh, was born and raised in Iran. So they're doing ministry in Iran right now as well. And if you've been watching the news, you know that there was a young woman. Her name was, was uh, Masa, and she didn't have her hijab, her head covering on properly. And so the morality police arrested her. This has been a few months ago now. Uh, they ended up fracturing her skull. She died in a hospital a few days later. Now there are these public protests in the streets in Iran. And people are dying, and it's, it's horrendous. It's, it's horrific. It's demonic. It's horrible. And so we have people actually investing in that and, and trying, to, trying to make a difference in that, in that horrible state. Um, you'll see another name there, Mark Rumchick. I have, these are recent newsletters. Let me tell you about Mark and Angie Rumchick. They, they were students at Ball State, attended our church years ago. They're sitting one Sunday morning, they're sitting on the third row. And this is how they reported the story to me. And this happens to me frequently when people begin a story about something that's happened to them in one of our services. They'll begin the, they'll begin the story by saying, I don't know what you were preaching on that day, but. <laughs> so apparently no one listens to anything I say, but, but occasionally God will speak to you, you know, while you're not distracted by me. And, and, and so they were in, sitting on the third row and Mark uh, was from Michigan originally, and he was at Ball State. He was a volleyball player for Ball State University. Great guy, and he was dating his, his, his future wife, Angie, and they were sitting together in church. And this is how Mark reported it to me. He said, as you were preaching, I heard the voice of God say to me, I am calling you to reach the National Hockey League. Now, how quirky is that? I mean, that's just like unexpected. That's, that's an odd, what did you say? I said, I'm calling you to reach the National Hockey League. And he went, man, what did I eat for breakfast? This is, this, that doesn't make any sense at all. And a third time, only more forcefully, I'm calling you to reach the National Hockey League. Isn't that fascinating? It's really interesting. Well, Mark and Angie graduated from Ball State. They got married. They, they worked with uh, Crew, Campus Crusade, for a few year, a couple of years in Indianapolis. And then they were asked by the organization if they wanted to go to Michigan and plant a new, uh, new ministry there. 
with crew in a particular high school. They agreed. So they, they moved to Ypsilanti, Michigan, and went to this high school and, and began to pioneer a work there with the students. And they quickly discovered, watch this now, that the National, the National Hockey Association hand selects these elite, young elite hockey players from all over the United States, and they send them to that high school in Michigan where they live in host homes, and for the last two years of their high school experience, they train there uh, for the United States hockey team in the 17-year-old and 18-year-old divisions. And so these are the best of the best hockey players, and they all congregate in this school. This is now seven or eight years later, and the, the fruit that Mark and Angie have produced with these, with these hockey players, I mean, they, all, they have one living in their house with them all the time. It's just one of, you know, one of the things they do. This, can't, this arrived on my desk this morning. I have not seen this until this morning. I get here, and I read this. is from the Rum Chicks, and the, the first paragraph quoting some of these students. This is the best day of my life. I'm putting this day in my calendar as my spiritual birthday. This is a day I will remember. Big day, marking it on my, I feel so good and so happy I accepted Jesus in my heart. When I said the prayer, I really felt something in my heart. Then Mark writes, these are just a few of the comments from the USA U17 boys after eight players prayed to receive Christ last week. After spending the month going through the gospel, they all got a chance to respond to Jesus and the gospel. It was incredibly encouraging to hear their responses and to see what God is doing in their hearts. So this, is, this has happened now for year upon year upon year. Mark is no longer uh, working in the high school. He works only with these, ho- with these hockey players. And now he has stories that's accumulated over, over years, and he's led dozens of these young men to Christ. And some of these guys are so elite and so talented that they get drafted by the National Hockey League. And he's got a, a, a eight or ten of, these, of, of his guys who are playing in the league now. And so there's an infiltration of the gospel in the National Hockey League because of the work that Mark Rumchuk is doing. How crazy is that? That's just amazing. I love that stuff. So don't listen to a word I say, but if you can hear God, that would be fantastic. Locally, uh, Jeff Mosier is the local director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, good friend. Um, And his newsletter, you know, is so full of stuff, he's got to use both sides of it. And this is recent. This is in the last week. And so he's talking about leadership camps and power camps and golf outings and and the annual banquet and see you at the pole, and area ministries, and all these high schools and middle schools. And then I want to highlight this one campus ministry at Pendleton Heights. He said, through the faithfulness of a handful of students and the intentional intercession of some adult volunteers, God used the impact of some of our summer camps this year to to spark a revival at Pendleton. He said, last year, the huddles, these are these preschool huddles that have a little Bible study and prayer meeting with students, all voluntary in the school before classes begin. And he said last year the huddles would, would have 12 or 20 to 25 students. When school started this year, the middle school at Pendleton had over 50 that attended the huddle, and the high school on the first day had over 100 students that showed up. He said these numbers have not just maintained but have increased. God is moving in Pendleton, Indiana. So little stories like that that just uh, indicate that God is at work 
And I want you to feel confident that the people that we fund, that the people that we support are folks who are living a strategic, faithful life, a fruitful life in the kingdom of God, and we're very excited to be in partnership with them. And I, I know you are as well. So what in the world is God doing? That's just a snapshot of what's happening in our world and the opportunities before us. Now, I want to just shift it now, flip the coin if I can, and ask the question, what about you in today's world? I have a handful of questions that I want to ask you today. I, I'm not going to offer answers, but I am going to ask the questions and hope it, hope it will stimulate in you some thought and prayer so that you can take meaningful steps in your journey of faith. Here's my first question. What voices are you listening to? There's too much noise in the world. Can I get an amen? There's too much noise. We have succumbed too often to the voices in the world. Let me give you an example. Many Christians in America today have succumbed to a civil religion. Civil religion is something that's been identified in American culture now for many years. Uh, it's, the formula works like this. You take the, the United States flag plus the U.S. Constitution plus a faith in God, and now you have American civil religion. And lots of people adhere to it. Um, I've rehearsed this a few years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, a few weeks ago. We see a trend now in our culture where, where people are separating their faith in God from their religious practice. You heard me talk about the huge numbers of people in America, millions and millions of people who have a meaningful faith in God, but they're separating their faith in God from an actual practice of their faith. And as a result of that, politics now has usurped the role that the practice of their faith has taken. So you have a faith in God and a political practice that's, that's a new religion forming, a civil religion that's forming in America. Uh, this type of civil religion, though, let me just uh, warn you, will not be adequate to influence the world and in the emerging cultures in our world. It's not even going to come close because it's just not authentic enough. I made this statement a few weeks ago. I'll say it again this morning. Politics cannot save us, but a view toward eternity can. So could I, could I urge you, nudge you, encourage you, implore you to focus your, focus your energy on your faith? and on the practice of your faith, and the influence that God may give you in the world. That's what will make a difference. So there are voices everywhere demanding your time, your attention, your thoughts, your emotions, your money, your resources. Here's my advice, just some pastoral counsel. Find a couple of days somewhere in your, in your schedule and shut off your phone and shut off the TV and, and turn away from social media and set aside that time to hear God. I'm at, the question is, what voices are you listening to? It's high time, past time, for sincere Christian people to set aside time where they can get quiet enough, long enough, so that they can hear the one voice that is actually important for them to be hearing, which is the voice of God. And so I encourage you to do it. God works in us from the inside out, not from the outside in. So you, you have to nurture your ability to hear God's voice for real change to happen in you or others. So what voices are you listening to? Here's another question. What addictions are part of your struggle?
Now, let me give you some good news and bad news. The good news is that your addictions will not keep you out of heaven. If addictions kept us out of heaven, none of us would be going. Because all God's children have addictions. You do, I do, we all do. And so the challenge is to identify those struggles and to put them in their rightful place and to overcome them by God's grace. So while addictions won't keep us out of heaven, they do bind us to the earth. They're distracting. They take up energy and time and resource. They, they're, they're, they're just a substitute, a bad, poor substitute for a meaningful connection with God. And so the challenge is to deal, identify, deal with these addictions and put aside lesser things that keep us from a, a greater intimacy with God and an investment in his purposes for our lives. So my question is, what addictions are part of your struggle? Here's the next question. What are you afraid of? The COVID epidemic revealed a fear on a scale I never thought was possible in our world, but boy, folks have gone crazy afraid crazy afraid and COVID, COVID has exacerbated that horribly I actually, I actually googled this what are people afraid of the, the science has actually been done we, we know from, from scientific surveys what people are most afraid of, of in today's culture I've listed the top 10 they're there in front of you number one is change Number two is loneliness. Leads people to get stuck in and out of relationships. Causes people to overuse social media to compensate for their loneliness. Don't raise your hand. Bunch of hands would go up. Number three is failure. This fear keeps many people from embracing amazing opportunities. Four is rejection. All kinds of delays happen in our lives, especially in meaningful relationships because of this rejection wound or rejection fear that so many people carry. Number five is uncertainty. Causes people to get stuck in all kinds of professional and relational situations. Number six is something bad happening. Let me just remind you, you cannot, you should not, you cannot, you must not live your life focused on the what ifs. Yeah, but what if this, what if that no, no, no. Listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. Fear is the absolute worst reference point for, to make a major decision in your life. Don't consult your fears. The first and best place to go is to consult your faith. What is God saying to me? What is God requiring of me? I told you I wasn't going to give you answers. I couldn't help myself on that one. <laughs> Here's number seven, getting hurt. So, People physically and emotionally hesitate because of that fear. Number eight is being judged. There's lots of people in our world who are afraid of that. I'd, I'd rather be liked at all costs. I'd rather be accepted at all costs. How about, rather than doing that, how about, Embrace your values and live by your convictions. Don't be afraid of what people think of you. I 
I've, had, I've done the psychological work in my own life. I've done the hard work to understand myself in this regard. I can say about myself, I would rather be respected than liked. And that's one of the reasons why I can say the things I do sometimes. Because you liking me isn't on my list. Sorry. Can't get me on that one. I don't really mind. He's not right. What is the matter with him? We're not sure. He's been around a long time. We don't know what happened to him. Here's number nine is inadequacy. Lots of people feel that, I think. And number 10 is a loss of freedom. This is interesting. As I did the research on this, this, I found that this is one of the drivers around people resisting a steady job, especially in emerging cultures. Isn't that curious? Loss of freedom. Well, I'd get one of those, you know, 40-hour-a-week jobs, but, boy, I'm going to lose my freedom. If i got to work all the time. The numbers of people, the tens of millions of people in America right now trying to change jobs or don't like their current job, blah, blah, blah. Listen, a good job, listen, it's not a scavenger hunt to find the, the best one just right for you. Especially young people, listen, listen to the old guy. Listen to me. It's not, it's not a hunt that, oh, there it is, my little diamond in the rough out of a hundred job opportunities. That's the one for me. Baloney. It's not a scavenger hunt. A job is about get up, go to work, do your very best as under the Lord until God tells you to do something else. Oh, well, that's another sermon. I have to <laughs> shake it off, shake it off. So what are you afraid of? Listen, if you spend more time feeding your faith, you'll starve your doubts and your fears to death. And you want fear to go down in your life and you want faith to go up. Praise God. Now, another question, what provides you with the greatest sense of security? As Westerners, especially Americans, we believe that we can strive for and attain our best life through material pursuit. You know, the American dream. Could I just offer a secondary place of security? Uh, that all of us should be, a, be a secure in a confident trust in a faithful God who promised to begin a work in us and complete it. God can be trusted. He will take care of you. That's where your security is found, in him and him alone. That's the truth. That's the truth. Here's the next question. Do you believe it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you believe that? What do you believe, Pastor? I believe it's more blessed to give than receive. Oh, so it comes naturally for you? No. No, I, I'm, just like all, I'm just like all of you. I'm naturally inclined to be a taker, not a giver. Giving isn't natural for any of us. The good news is that God will actually extend his grace to us and cause us to be generous and to be a blessing around us. There, there is actually a spiritual gift called the gift of giving. And many people in our church have it. I think I have it. So that God supernaturally enables us to give and be generous, to live our life with open hands. This is how you live under an open heaven. We're going to say more about that in January. And so here, here's, here's, a great, here's a great question. Do you believe it's more blessed to give than to receive? Think of it this way. Maybe you've never thought about it this way. At some point in history, think about it. Someone 
left their home, left their family, or left their country in order for the gospel to reach you. You know, your region, your city, your neighborhood, your family to reach you. Someone, somewhere, sacrificed their own life, their own safety, their own well-being, and actually put their lives on the line in order that all of us in this room within the sound of my voice could hear the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone did it. Someone sacrificed. Someone gave. Someone prayed. Someone went in order for us to hear. Now, as we have been the recipients of this amazing message, we find ourselves with a wonderful and grand opportunity now to be the generous one and the sacrificial ones and the willing ones to make a difference in other people's lives. So do you really believe it's more blessed to give than receive? Here's another question. Are you living your life with like-minded believers? Let me remind you, you're not an island, and it's important that you take care of the company you keep. Let me show you two verses of Scripture. The first is 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Any questions? Another one is Hebrews 10, 25, which says, Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is all about hanging out with other Christians who share a worldview with you for the support, encouragement, and accountability that comes with it. Are you living your life with like-minded believers? Another question, where is your heart right now? See, every Christian should be asking this question in today's culture. Where is your heart right now? What are your primary passions What do you spend most of your time thinking about, talking about, praying about? Remember, in life, it's it's never about your physical location. It's always about the location of your heart. There's a great verse in the Proverbs, uh, my favorite verse on this subject, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. I mean, the, the stuff that's really inside of you, that, th- this is where you process. This is where you filter. This is where you make decisions. This is how you choose relationships. This is how you, how you engage your life in meaningful ways. These are your passions, your thoughts, your resources, the things, that, the things you think about and pray about and talk about. Th- these are the issues of your heart. The scripture is clear. Guard your heart with all diligence because all of life flows out of that. So where's your heart right now? It's an important question. Have one more question, we'll be done. Ready? Is Jesus enough? Are you confident? Are you secure? Are you hopeful in the loving care of a meaningful faith in Jesus Christ? Is he enough? Or do you approach the world like an orphan, wandering about, without a loving father, no parents, no sense of direction or purpose or security or meaning? How how do you go through the world? Or is is Jesus your everything? We're back to the psalm where we began. All my fountains are in you. 
All my fountains are in you. Is Jesus enough? Is he Jehovah Jireh? Is he the God who provides? Is he the one you look to for every need? Is there something better or something that God cannot provide in your life that you perceive? And you find yourself pursuing it on your own. Is Jesus enough? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, it's been really quiet all morning in the church. These questions are meaningful, aren't they? Let's pause and let's pray about these things. Lord, so many voices in our world help us to hear your voice. So many addictions, they take hold of us. Lord, we pray for your grace to be free and to serve you wholly. So many fears that hinder us, confuse us, paralyze us, deliver us from fear. Lord, so many options to reach for that we, that we imagine will secure us. But we know you and you alone is where security is found. Increase our faith. Lord, we hear that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, help us to live into that truth as we practice giving. We are to live life in community with like-minded people. Lord, help us to recommit to that. It's so important. And Lord, help us to guard our hearts. It's so easy for our hearts to be wounded, distracted, polluted. Help us to guard our heart, Lord. And may we turn our eyes on Jesus looking full on his wonderful face so that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, his grace. Lord, hear our prayers in Jesus' name. And the people said, would you stand with us?